Okay, well, thank you again for joining us for another Office Hours by People Design. My name is Jay Kimmel Spock, Principal and Director of Strategy here at People Design. And with me here is President, Founder, and just overall uh, good human being, the Mr. Kevin Buhleman. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Hi, everyone. <laughs> that's how he, he goes by just the Mr. Kevin Boodleman is <laughs> what's on the business card. For those of you who are new uh, here, uh, Office Hours is a time we've set aside to discuss ideas we're thinking about at People Design and issues we're experiencing firsthand with our customers. Recently, we published a short piece through our newsletter called Balance. And really what this article discusses is, uh, is the importance of finding balance between organizations, individuals, and society, and really looks at three uh, places where we can really see, see that, right? So there's this level of imbalance with uh, internal teams and employees, externally with customers, and, uh, and externally also, but with, uh, with broader industries, right, with, with whole groups. And we give some examples of those, uh, you know, looking at organizations like Amazon, who are incredible companies, very customer centric, but has a reputation for not treating it, its employees the best. And it has more recently seen you know, things like strikes and, and protests um, by their employees. Uh, and you wonder how sustainable that path is. Uh, also with customers you know, and your target audience, a easy target for us to, to point at is really social media where you have an industry and players who, who advocate for bringing people together, yet we see uh, spikes of um, anxiety, depression, uh, feelings of isolation uh, amongst young people who are, uh, are notorious for um, you know, engaging with these social media platforms, right? So in a way that it's doing the opposite of what it's, it's meant to do. And we look at education in that article as well, in the sense that, you know, the industry is out of balance with the whole industry. It's not just one company, but it's an industry that's somewhat out of balance with its target audience, where education is meant to help, uh, you know, give people access to knowledge and help them uh, grow in their careers. Yet it's often unattainable. It's often uh, too expensive. And what we looked at was the comparison of the rise of tuition versus the rise of starting salaries, which is uh, incredibly disproportionate. So that article is just kind of uh, encompassing a lot of those issues. But, you know, really, you know, in my mind, the heart of this article is really all about relationships and the flow of value. In particular, the relationship between organizations, individuals, and society. <clears throat> For me, the, the easiest, the way that I like to think about this through, through an analogy is through the, the hydrological cycle, which is um, a fancy term that I Googled, but we're all familiar with it, right? It's, it's that cycle of, of as water kind of makes its pilgrimage from you know, groundwater um, through evaporation into the clouds and then back down through pre precipitation. It's that kind of constant flow. <clears throat> What's interesting about that is that, you know, whether it's the form of precipitation, vapor, or condensation, or even just as a body of water, it's always H2O. And an organization's value proposition is, in my mind, very similar. It's, it's a constant, <clears throat> but takes different forms, depending upon if it's been received by a customer, or an employee, or more broadly in the marketplace, just as, a, as its overall brand presence. So one area that's, that's uh, an easy thing to pick at and look at, or an, at least an interesting place to start, is the organization to employee relationship. Organizations today, there was a great article by McKinsey that came out a while back. And this was pre-COVID and all of that stuff where we've been kind of forced into change and accelerated changes. Um, I think uh, our latest, uh, our last newsletter touched on that a bit. But the article by McKinsey talks about how a lot of CEOs today grew up and were trained and went through MBA school, you know, in the 80s, uh, 90s, and they were trained to run their organizations like a commercial pilot, you know, where it's your, you have a very smooth ascension, um, you keep it steady at a certain level, you're not going too fast, you're not going too, too slow, easy, nice turns, not trying to jet anywhere, and then a nice smooth landing. 
And in today's economy, in today's marketplace, organizations have to fly more like fighter pilots, where we have to be able to turn on a dime, make quick decisions, and, and really keep uh, our North Star in mind. And that just, that requires a lot of agility. So organizations need to be increasingly agile, but an organization can only be as agile as its, as its team members. So in my mind, the question pops up is, how do you help your employees become agile? And I think there's, there's, a, there's no one silver bullet for this. There's a lot of different levers to pull here, whether it's having a clearly communicated North Star, you know, even mapping the organization's decision-making process or looking at workflows, uh, and even just simply incentivizing and recognizing positive behaviors. But I think <clears throat> if we dig down and, and, and start to look at the root of these things, it intertwines with the employee's personal identity. And to me, that's where it becomes very, very complex. And I'll, I'll dig into that here. What I mean by that is that we have different layers and dimensions to our identity. So for instance, uh, you know, personally me, I'm a husband, I'm a father, you know, I'm the kind of guy who does X, Y, and Z. Um, but we define ourselves in different ways and depending upon our value system and the context, uh, the, those layers, uh, we, reprior we reprioritize uh, those layers depending upon where we're at, right? So if I'm at work, I'm wearing my worker hat. But if I'm at home, I'm wearing my father-husband hat. Now, that's not to say I'm completely one or the other, but it's to say that we reorganize the way we, uh, we think about ourselves in the context that we, uh, we are in. Now, one of the things is I as we, we think about that is that if we think about how much time we spend at our jobs. So let's say, you know, you wake up at 7 a.m., you go to sleep at 11 p.m., and that's like a 16-hour day. And if you only work a 9 to 5, which most of us work well beyond the 9 to 5, that's about eight hours of each day. So that means that half your day is dedicated to your work, and the other half is split between all the other aspects of your life, all these layers to your identity. Half your day is uh, is, is spent in, in this one role. Now, of course, I'm, I'm completely oversimplifying this, but the point is that if we spend that big of a percentage of, of our lives in a particular role, it can have a big impact on how we see ourselves. And we know this to be true by the way we introduce ourselves often, right? So if someone says, hi, Jake, what do you do? How are you? What, what's your story? You know, I don't often lead with, I'm a husband and a father of three. I talk about my job and, and, and what I do for a living. So instead of our, our job title and a description of our company, uh, what does this have to do with, with agility, right? So I know, thank you for, for going on me, uh, accompanying me with this, what feels like a tangent, but if we intertwine a major portion of our identity into our work, it can be difficult to pivot when change is needed. Kevin, one of the things that um, I think you had noticed in a, through our work with clients, and it is particularly true of middle management is that when we get used to doing something a certain way and we've had some some strong success in doing something a certain way it's hard for us to change because a, a piece of that becomes a, about who we are well i'm i'm so and so i i do this it's my job title and i start to define myself that way and so when change is needed it can be difficult not because it's it just because it's a new way of working but because we're asking ourselves or our team members to adopt new habits and uh and think about themselves in a new way so if we want our company to be agile, we need our team members to be agile. We need to make sure we are supporting them as whole individuals and that they're, they're seeing through their job titles to the actual value they provide. Their value may not be managing a timeline as a project manager. It could be that their value is bringing calm and organization to what would otherwise be chaos. This skill set, that kind of a skill set is, is incredibly um, desired, valuable, and helpful. Um, in a wide variety of ways, not just project management, right? But if, if I feel that, you know, if <clears throat> some of us out there, if, if my goal is to, to manage a timeline, I might shortchange the value that I can provide to my company. I might shortchange the value that I, I uh, see myself as having. So I, I went through and, and did a little bit of digging and I found this example of, of a positive, right? So that article kind of touches on some places of imbalance, but I thought I would focus on this, this one company um, that seems to strike a good balance in this manner. 
So the company is called Ultimate Software. Um, they're a cloud-based human capital management company. And they're very uh, forward about how they have a very, uh, they have a people first mentality and that's kind of the way they manage. Um, you know, incredible employee uh, benefit packages. Everyone's uh, a, a shareholder in the company. And they consistently rank on Fortune's 100 best places to work. It, this, this, this year, 2019 and 2020, it was the number one spot for technology companies and it took the number two spot overall for best places to work. Now, they went private, uh, I think a year or two ago, um, and they sold for 11 billion. Before that, they saw revenue grow 21% uh, compared to the same quarter of the previous year, which I believe was Q4 of 2017 to Q4 of 2018. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that sales growth. It's not just because they cared about their people. Um, there's all, all, all sorts of things at hand, but we can sort of start to connect the dots um, in how that relates to people, right? So if, uh, if you take on that people first mentality, you can argue that it attracts top talent and that top talent helps create strong revenue, which produces great results. <clears throat> So the company has been able to grow. Um, its employees feel respected and cared for. Um, and in our minds, that's kind of this, a leader leads into this idea of healthy, balanced growth. Now, I'm sure there's tough days and, and not everything is uh, sunshine and roses, but if your employees can't get excited about working for you or for your company and you give them a paycheck, how do we expect our customers to be excited, right? So my my belief or my hope is that happy employees are more likely to create happy customers. And even further, they're more likely to leave that office and have a positive impact in their homes and their communities. And so that's going back to this, this analogy of the hydrological cycle and as value flows and as relationships flow between organizations and individuals in society, there's just this strong, almost symbiotic relationship between those three entities. And so when we look to solve business problems, we need to make sure we account for that, that human piece to it, that human element. So often I think that organizations, um, you, know, we, you know, Kevin, we run into this all the time where we say, okay, well, what are your goals? What, are you, what do you want to achieve? And we'll hear things like, well, we want to, we want to see uh, revenue, just incremental revenue growth you know, year over year. So, well, that's great. That's awesome. That that's absolutely should be a number one goal. But what do you, where, where are you heading as an organization? What do you want to be? Where are you, you know, what's your, what's your organization's identity? How does the organization see itself? What are you calling not just your employees, but your customers to join, not just buy into? And we've, we see this, this struggle where uh, organizations can sometimes focus uh, too heavily on things like optimization. You know, we've got uh, a strong history uh, of black belt kind of six sigma land which are all wonderful 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 things but the danger and the risk with that is that if if an organization focuses too much internally we forget where our customers are going we forget where our employees are going because you know whether we like it or not our customers and our employees and our team members are experiencing new things every day right so whether it's um, you know, an article in the headlines talking about a company that's offering, you know, longer maternity leave or unlimited vacation, or um, they really have a kind of more of a purpose-driven company, which uh, I don't, it's not my belief that every organization should be dedicated to a purpose, but they should have a reason for being, and they should be passionate about that, uh, solving problems. So the world changes, and if organizations are only focused on those ideas of optimization, they fall out of balance, right? And, and they lose track. And that's where we get into some of those examples listed in the article. My, my thought is that, you know, you have two sides of an organization. One side is the functional aspect where we're looking at things like top line growth, bottom line management, um, you know, just the, the almost the nuts and bolts, the logistics of the organization. The other half is this really messy, sloppy piece we call culture. And we struggle to know how to manage that. And I think sometimes uh, because it's difficult to measure, we don't manage it as, as directly or we don't care for it as, as directly. 
I remember Kevin, one of the, one of the things is that, you know, many years ago when I started at People Design, I remember you were talking about one of the goals was to create an environment where good work can happen. And I think that's a really interesting perspective in the sense that, you know, another way to look at it, another analogy was um, I heard someone talking about gardening and they were talking about how, you know, you don't really feed the flower, you're actually feeding the soil and you're taking care of the soil so it can provide a good environment for that flower to grow. And I think it's, uh, it's an analogy we can bring over to business in the sense that when we create good environments where good work can happen and people can grow, not just as employees, but as individuals, we can see uh, strong business growth. And those businesses, as they grow, they provide jobs for the communities that they serve. And as more jobs are available in communities, you've got higher employment rates, hopefully, and, and those communities can then flourish. So I think about these things as intertwined, and that's why I think balance is so important because we can't just solve one piece of the problem, or at least we can't only focus on one piece of the problem. We've got to perhaps solve one piece at a time, but we've got to make sure we keep the, the, whole, uh, the whole puzzle in, in picture. So that's a lot of me rambling and hopefully it made some sense and we were able to dive a little bit deeper into those articles. Yeah. Uh, we are keeping our eyes on the, the Q&A section, the comment section, or if you wanna raise your hand, we'd love to take some questions. Feel free to jump in. Um, uh, we're, we're keeping an eye on them. Um, for now though, I'll kick it over to Kevin to, uh, to, to, to lead the, the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Jake. That was great. I appreciate all the additional thinking. And I, um, you know, as Jake said, I mean, feel free to, there's a Q&A piece in the software, as you probably know, if you're Zoom users at this point, and um, also a chat window. Um, and some people sent questions in advance as they are registering, which we appreciate. Um, so, uh, so thank you for all that. And I'm going to get to some of those. I, I you know, all of this it, thinking that you're just sharing today, I think was very, you know, made me think about a lot of different things. I, um, you know, you, you mentioned in the article, you, you talk about sort of the internal, external and industry imbalances. Um, you know, one of the thoughts I was thinking about is like, what steps would an organization take to become more balanced? And you're sort of right. starting to touch on those, it seems to me, I mean, agility and identity, this idea of moving towards sort of healthy growth. I guess, you know, one question that comes to mind for me is, from your perspective, you know, you know, is this need for balance a new thing? And if so, why? That's a good question. Uh, I thought you were supposed to ask just really easy ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I think that, um, I think the need for balance is not new, but I think that we're seeing an increased focus towards that. So I can only speak to kind of the experiences that, I, you know, I've, I've lived through uh, and just kind of watching our society grow. And, and it, of course, I'm looking at it from a, a North American perspective. Um, but I think that um, culturally we see, and this is, again, goes back to why I think um, organizations, we have to kind of be aware of these things because you're always trying to grow and your organization in the context of the broader society and the broader culture. I think that, um, you know, we've uh, grown up, uh, you know, I'll probably age myself. I don't know if I'm aging myself young or old, but, um, you know, my parents grew up in a world where you would get that nine to five, you'd get that one job and you would work that for, for a long, long time. And your work was work and your home was home. And those were kind of very two separate things. I think that as technology has increased and become, uh, more infiltrated into our, our regular lives, you're seeing a, a blur between uh, that whole work-life balance conversation that we talk so much about. I think as that happens, work has leaked more into our personal lives and our personal lives are leaking more into our work lives. I think that's especially true of this current climate where a lot of us are working from home and we have Zoom meetings where you know our kids, cats and dogs are jumping into the frames and all sorts of things are happening, right? Um, as we see this integration happen more and more, I think organizations have a responsibility to consider their, their employees as the whole individual. And what are you trying to grow as, you know, as an independent person, you know, outside of your work, even as people design or, or whatever it is, um, 
it's important for us to look at those individuals and say, how might we help foster their growth as human beings? Because ultimately that's going to help them feel like they can contribute to the company in a more meaningful way as they grow. And if they are helping their organizations, if they're passionate about working at their organizations, you know, it's my hope that the organization would grow. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I I love, I love that the, your, um, the, the metaphor of the, water cycle it's interesting i was thinking about that too in terms of not so much water but i was thinking about other you know the whole idea of balance seems to me such yeah. a, it, it's a it's a nature <laughs> you know kind of concept right i mean it's, it's such a right. universal concept i was even thinking about the you think about a pendulum swinging back and forth mm-hmm. and it's kind of like you know the natural state eventually is that you know a pendulum swings back and forth eventually it'll come to rest, right? I mean, there's sort of a gravitational pull toward kind of this balanced state. But then when there's like, if there's a new pressure, if you you knock that pendulum back and forth again, it starts to rock back and forth again a little bit. And and I wondered whether, you know, it's almost like a, you know, a seismograph or something, you know, that kind of bounces back and forth. And I wondered whether when there are new pressures at work, um, meaning, you know, obviously like COVID-19, for example, or the, you know, right. the, the rise in the discussion about social justice, um, all kinds of things, um, maybe pressures that make something out of balance in a sense. Yeah. And it becomes yeah, this question absolutely. of like, it seems like the natural state would be to kind of ease back toward balance, but then it, it also throws everything out of, out of, out of whack and just, a, just like a pendulum, it's sort of like, you wonder if it's, you know, does it, um, is there overcorrection back the other way? And then does it take a while to kind of bounce back and forth? And then, you know, it starts to, so I don't know, it's, it's an interesting question about whether, when they, of course, that, that kind of implies that balance is the natural state, which I do, I mean, I, I agree with you from the, it's even from the standpoint of some of the things you mentioned about, you know, growing a flower and the, you know, sort of like the thing that's going to lead toward healthy growth. And yet you see lots of places where there is such an, an imbalance that it's, right. it's well, it's a, it's in. Uh, I think it's a constant pursuit, and I, I think that to your point, there's, there's both um, intrinsic and extrinsic forces that that push us out of balance and create motion, and um, and I think that that's kind of the the endless pursuit of trying to reclaim that state and being able to adjust, and that's why, you know, again, organizations, you know, we've we've talked about this with our clients as well, where if you're and this is especially true, I think, of, of manufacturers, but if they root their whole corporate identity uh, in a product or the things that they make, it's going to be very hard for them as an organization to be able to adjust to those, those extrinsic forces, right? Those when the wind blows and, and you've got to move a certain way. But if you say, no, 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 you know, I'm, I'm this, uh, but the market doesn't want that anymore. What do you do? How do you pivot? You're lost. Right. And so that's, that's why the idea of meaning is, is so valuable and, and taking time to really craft your corporate identity. And I don't mean just from a visual perspective, but you know, an identity in terms of how do you see yourself? What problem is your company solving? And I think the more clear organizations can be about what problem the company is solving, it helps them pivot to whatever that solution is for that particular time, right? It's not uh, technology changes, the market changes, we're faced with new competition, uh, supply chain innovations. You can't be the same company you were 30 years ago. You've got to constantly be evolving to try to strike that balance. Yeah, that's interesting. So Andy just added it into the chat, uh, this idea that there's a recognition uh, that about prioritizing shareholder value, which creates long-term consequences for uh, other key stakeholders in the business. Mm-hmm. And, and, and actually shared an article, which we can share back out to everyone. Um, if, if you haven't seen it in the chat window. Um, it is a really interesting question. I mean, I, I thought about, um, you know, I, I, as I think about the, I, I think employers today, most organiza- many organizations today are faced with a lot of pretty interesting new kinds of challenges, which starts to lead to possible different kinds of expectations on, on the parts of their team. Yeah. So let's say, you know, climate change, or again, this kind of the uh, increased uh, kind of conversation around social justice, it may change, you know, employees' perspectives on what employers are ought to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, 
from your perspective, what do you, what do you, how do you think employers should consider these kinds of challenges or, you know, how, how do they stay ahead of them? You know, it's yeah. kind of a, you know, so this whole sense of like, you know, the, um, the longer term consequences in some ways that Andy was suggesting. So I'm going to break that into, into two parts. Um, one is that, you know, from a kind of that stakeholder perspective, I think that, and uh, Kevin, this was an insight that, that you had uh, many years ago, but technology, the, the, prolifer the proliferation of technology has created increased transparency and it's shifted power to the masses a little bit more. And so I think that you're seeing a little bit of uh, power dynamics happening between organizations and communities as a whole, whether they're customers or employees. People um, who used to not have a voice have a very strong voice now. And so I think their organizations are seeing different pressures. Um, and, and with that, stakeholders are, are asking for different things as well. I mean, we work with, um, there's a bank that we work with who um, I was talking to uh, their, their CEO and he shared that, you know, stakeholders are asking questions about um, climate change. What are you guys doing for community givebacks and social, uh, social, social uh, awareness and, and giving back to the community? They're, they're asking different questions these days, which is, I think, very interesting. But to your question about how, to, how do companies navigate this, this goes back to a conversation, Kevin, you, have, you and I have been having for, for several years, but um, you, you know I'm kind of very passionate about this idea of uh, understanding self-value, identity, convictions, and creating a sense of belonging. I think direction has, uh, uh, ties into this idea of conviction. So, and this goes back to where not every company needs to have a purpose, but they should have strong convictions about what they are meant to do and what problems they're solving. Because if we can understand those deeper convictions, then we can make decisions more quickly, right? So the thing that gets in the way of our convictions, I think a lot of times are just the giving ourselves, we need to give ourselves the, the time and space to think about what is the what are the things that we keep coming back to in our lives or as an organization? What are the things that we keep coming back to um, that seem to be questions that we have or things that drive us or things that get us interested in and why? And asking ourselves those harder questions to say, what is it that I'm really passionate about? The day-to-day the -day, um, you know, maintenance of an organization also is, it doesn't allow for a lot of that time to think about those things. Um, but also I think one piece, one hurdle, one roadblock that is overlooked is the presence of good things or going after good things. But I'll go a little bit deeper on that. Um, good things like making a profit, growing your organization, being good to employees are wonderful. And we should always, uh, that's like, if uh, those are always things that we should strive towards. But if we don't take us a, a time to take a step deeper and say, well, what are, what are we really passionate about? And what, is our, what are our driving convictions? Then when the market shifts, especially if it shifts suddenly, we'll be at a loss for, for answers and we'll be at a loss for direction. So I think it's really important for organizations to take time to uh, craft their value proposition, uh, which, you know, I mean, my, my personal opinion is that's like one of the most valuable tools that companies have, but often gets left in the junk drawer. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting to think about when how that identity on a company level starts to evolve conceivably. One of the questions um, uh, Nathan on his way in to the registration was asking, it's interesting you mentioned about the bank and how that, that, in, that request from, from uh, one of their, uh, from their customers about, uh, about uh, climate responsibility and so forth um, was, was definitely a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I can guarantee you it's not what the, you know, the bank CEO was thinking when they were yeah. you know, forming the bank to begin with. Similar question. So, coming from uh, another financial institution, um, it was a question about you know as a quickly growing financial institution, um, his his organization is um, learning about the best way to deal with work life balance in the era of more ubiquitous work and home arrangements. And so, he's curious about the Family and Medical Leave Act and things like along those lines and how that sort of plays in. Which is kind of a detailed question, but it's 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 an interesting one because it's it's a good example of the kind of thing about how, how does an organization think about um, 
striking balance with people as their needs start to change, or even how culturally we start to view these things uh, differently. I mean, among the things that's been interesting for me is I've, I serve on a board that has a lot of international folks. So like getting, getting the view from Europe in terms of how they view, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of paternity leave they receive or for that, or for the, or, or for that matter, the, the fact that we're trying to have meetings um, during the summer and they all have an entire month off, like the yeah, whole right. time, right? right? I mean, they just kind of, because of how they work. What are, what are your thoughts about that sort of thing in terms of like where that, that's kind of, that kind of new pressure uh, coming on organizations and leaders? You know, I think, uh, which is a really good question, and there and there's a few aspects to that as well. I mean, one thing that comes to mind as you're asking, and I don't know if I'm asking, uh, answering Nathan's question here, but um, as we become a more global workforce, it is an interesting thing to think about the work style and work patterns of other regions, and how do we make sure that we are syncing up in a way that is uh, helpful to both. I think that, you know, to Nathan's question about uh, some of those healthcare issues and how do we manage those things, uh, you know, again, it goes back to what are you passionate about as an organization? How, what is your stance? I mean, I, 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 one of the things that Yang shared uh, with me a while back was that a good designer pushes their client towards a, a moment of truth or self-actualization where or, or honesty, I should say, um, where they're really just uh, being honest about what they care about, what they're passionate about. So is that uh, extrinsic force like that, is that a burden or an opportunity? Right. And it's really a matter of how you look at it, right? Yeah. And, and I think that depending upon your stance on those issues, you're gonna read it different ways and you're gonna respond to it different ways. If yeah. you're an organization that believes in, um, you know, I'm, and I'm not familiar with that specific act, but if you're an organization that believes in um, the health of uh, of their of people, then maybe you already have a great healthcare plan, and it's not that big of an issue. Um, so it's, I think it's a question of what is your stance, what are your convictions. Take the time to craft those convictions, and then look at those things and ask yourself: Is this a burden or an opportunity? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think FMLA primarily, you know, is dealing with things like. Maternity leave, paternity leave, some of those yeah. kinds of things, which yeah. is interesting, or or, or long-term care and those kinds of issues. And it's interesting because I think it's a, um, to your point about the kind of work-life blend um, that we're starting to see today versus the kind of classic, you know, father goes to work and everyone else, goes to, you know, wife stays home, that sort of like yeah. kind of older, old paradigms, you know, and, and how you know, how much the infrastructure is, is still geared to support those kinds of things versus whatever a more contemporary take is. Um, and so it's, it's, it's an interesting question from that standpoint. You know, one of the things, you know, you, know, you mentioned in the article talking about uh, Facebook, you kind of jump, jump to a different topic a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, the, I thought it was interesting. So, you know, it's one thing to think about the employees, but the, the case of Facebook is fascinating on many mm -hmm. levels, as we all oh, yeah. are aware. And what's, what's fascinating is to think about the fact that, you know, you know, you and I and the work that we do with our clients are, are regularly trying to help organizations remain or get closer to their constituents or their customers or their even their employees, as you mentioned. Um, what's fascinating about Facebook, of course, is that there is kind of this sense that the, the, the fact that they're, they're having a, an increasingly challenged relationship with their customers, mm -hmm. but it's actually not hurting their profitability. Yeah. Right. I mean, so they're, you know, the health of their business from a, from a, to your point, and sort of the, you, know, you mentioned a moment ago about these two modes, the functional versus the culture. You know, it's an interesting fissure between these two things where the bottom line does seem very easily measurable and kind of, you know, you can point to the fact that Facebook, I mean, Facebook is not hurting as everyone knows. Yeah. And yet, you know, it may literally be a, an organization that's, that's producing a product that's, actually detrimental to its customers yeah and, you know and you could find other kinds of you know of course there's a lot of you know there's emerging understanding about the the psychology um and the addiction addictive properties of social platforms and what that the risk of you know children and adults alike but you know you could almost you could almost liken that to you know the the tobacco companies right. once upon a time or for, or for that matter even almost any organization that's 
not helping with the situation around climate change? You know, it just becomes an interesting question where it's like, you know, it could be that polluting and, and not producing products in, in a sustainable way doesn't hurt you right now. In fact, it actually could hurt you more by investing that way, or at least that's how it seems. And yet there's, it doesn't start to deal with some of these more, these, as you, as you mentioned, sort of messier and cultural issues. Um, it's an interesting question about like what, you know, what, what, how organizations are, are, are to sort of make decisions in the, in the face of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me think about, are you playing the short game or the long game? Right. And, um, and Facebook is in particular, just social media in general is, is very interesting, but Facebook in particular, I mean, they've been in the press quite a bit lately with their boy ad boycotts and things like that. You know, it's interesting to think about how some of the user interfaces and the, the user experience of these things has been designed to be somewhat addictive and how, as you mentioned, it, it can have a negative impact on, on mental health. It makes, and you brought up tobacco, because I mean, the, the, the thing that I was, I was wondering about as you were saying that is, uh, you know, this, these, some of these things are designed to be addictive, um, but we haven't quite caught on to them yet. And I wonder if, um, just like tobacco, if it'll become more highly regulated, um, if there's going to be um, other, might there be other platforms that um, intentionally put friction in their UX? So it encourages you to take a, a break. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure you know, or, or you know, on my phone, I've got, um, I've got like bedtime things and, and wake times. And it'll, you know, if I set some things, it'll go actually to a black and white screen at certain times of the day. And, and I think that technology, some technology companies are starting to integrate um, essentially your well-being or what's, what's your well-being look like from a digital perspective. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't think Facebook's a sticky enough, addictive enough, and large enough organization where nothing is, they're not going to sink anytime soon, right? And, um, but it makes me wonder, you know, is, are they playing the long game or are they, are they playing the short game? If we look down the road, are they going to be looked at as an organization that was um, helpful to society or will they be looked at as a case study in what not to do? Right. Um, I don't know. And there's, I mean, obviously they've been a success in, in a lot of ways. So there's going to be lessons on both sides for, for that organization. Yeah, but it's, it's true. And it did even think about from a, from an employee standpoint, um, they, it's been fascinating in my work with uh, IHDA, the interaction design association with this global organization that deals with a lot of UX and service design people from around the world. And they, um, it's been interesting to see just even in the time that I've been on the board for several several last few years here, they, the extent to which people are sort of only sheepishly want to ad admit that they work at Facebook nowadays, which is yeah. crazy kind of, you yeah. know, it's such a, it's a, you know, such a dominant in many ways organization. I'm sure they can pay very well. And, and it's not like they don't, they, they employ tons and tons of people. And yet there's also sort of the sense of like, you know, you know, they're not proud and some people anyway are not proud. It's, a, it's a, like a guilty either. pleasure. It's like a thing. It's a, it's a, almost like a, I have to do it because my whole family is on there. Right. But I don't really want to do it. And, and it's, it's very, I mean, as you know, too, I mean, our, our kids, uh, you know, high school, middle school and younger, uh, Facebook is, is an old tool. It's a, it's a tool oh, for, for old sure. people. Yep. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what their habits are going forward if you know one of the things that we do is, is try to watch trends and obviously this trend is, is just a drop in the bucket but there's a there's an interesting company out there called light phone and they intentionally strip out a lot of those things and just create a, a, a cell phone that has you know calling texting some navigation perhaps just very basic things but intentionally try to kill the social media aspect of it all Okay. And I think that's an interesting choice for a technology company to promote the idea of unplugging. Um, now that's a small company, but it, you wonder if we'll see more of those types of solutions start to pop up. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. The, I was looking a little bit more at, um, so that the link that Andy sent was, was he was actually referencing this business uh, roundtable uh, statement of, uh, purpose of a corporation document that 
um, as he mentioned in his note to us, 181 American CEOs have signed. It's interesting to think about, and of course, you know, of course, and famously, I think it's you know Chase and many other big companies. Yeah. What's interesting about that, and from my perspective, is that, you know, you could take an optimistic or pessimistic look at this, right? I mean, the there is definitely a pessimistic view of this, which is to say, like, okay, these guys all put their names on this document, and then what, right? I mean, is it, it actually, you know, is, is it actionable? Are they actually going to take any steps, or was it just kind of a reactive PR stunt. Um, you know, on a course more optimistic level, you know, one hopes that they're going to, they are going to take substantive steps, that this is a, this is a legitimate step forward, let's say in the, in toward a better sense of balance moving, you know, it's starting to balance the, the functional and cultural issues that you were mentioning earlier. And I would even say, it's interesting because I, I would even say that even, you know, even if they see it as at, at least at the starting place as a cosmetic exercise, you know, I do believe in sort of this, you know, the work that we do, Jake, together all the time. I think this sort of sense of like, even if the, you know, the more concrete you can make your future state, the more likely it is mm-hmm. you are to get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so even if it's like your intentionality, and then like, as you and I describe all the time, it's kind of this question of like, if we can get really clear about that future state, it's really then just a question of how far and how fast. So yeah. I'm sure some of the companies, some of these 181 companies on this list, some of them will move fast and far. And some of them will move slowly mm-hmm. or, or not very far. Yeah. They've identified the journey is, yeah. It does seem like, you know, is a, is a positive step forward in any case. Yeah. And you got to find the pace that's right for you. I mean, not every organization, and it goes back to kind of that whole idea, idea of identity. Are you an organization that is all about kind of uh, breaking down walls and charging forward no matter what, or are you an organization that uh, is a little bit more reserved is a little bit more cautious and, and moves at a different pace. I mean, neither one is wrong as long as you're moving. Right. Um, and you're moving at a, at a, at a pace that's not going to break your organization. So that's a good uh, kind of leads into another question I had is that do you, do you think, so if you think about pace and how far, how fast, that sort of thing, what do you think, you know, if you think about it, you know, especially if you think about, you know, one of the examples in the article you mentioned is about how the entire industry can be out of balance. You mentioned education Mm -hmm. as an example, but as you and I find all the time, I think in this era of change, a lot of industries are finding themselves increasingly challenged with trying to figure out how, so it's not just a, just an employee issue or a customer issue, but it's like literally the entire system is kind of like you imagine the, you know, it's like what happened to your local bookseller pre Amazon is kind of like what we're starting to see in a lot of different categories. And I think, and so, you know, as you and I talk about that all the time, and of course, you know, you can be kind of chicken little and be afraid, or you can, it can inspire you to act, you know, that sort of thing. But I, you know, I guess the, a question would be, and I, you know, most leaders and a lot of the clients that we work with, it, you know, I think it's a legitimate question to ask to what extent you think they should strive to be on the bleeding edge, or are they going to be a fast follower? And a fast follow right. position, for example, is not, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like the, the companies on the bleeding edge that, that create new, uh, new, new patterns and new, new territory um, are often, you know, the subject of a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's some of the best business case studies and, you know, the things that, you know, companies we, we may admire and so on. And yet, you know, fast follower positions is like literally everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, there, there is, there's a lot to be said, of course, about not being on the bleeding edge in that way. And there is, you know, if you think about it, I mean, many people these days describe Apple as a, as a fast follower. I mean, they, they yeah. often are not the first in a category, but they try to be the best <laughs> as much as they, yeah. if they, if they're able. So it's an interesting, so it's not like the, you can't make money um, that way. So it's an interesting question. Um, like, what, what are your thoughts about, about, about that? So if you think about whether an industry is out of balance, you know, what, how, how do they prepare for a course correction? It's a good question. Um, again, I, I mean, I guess I, I, I think about two things. One is going back to that idea of conviction. So an identity in terms of what are we passionate about? You know, we, we as an org- organization are really passionate about helping organizations find that balance, get human centered, uh, get people centered and create change, long-term change. And so, um, so that's kind of a, 
a really helpful lens for people design, at least our, our and I'm just using us as, as an example, cause we work here, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but that kind of clarity allows us to ask the question, well, how can we do that better in today's climate? And, and so we're able to pivot, I think a little bit more quickly uh, because we have that, that bit of clarity or on, on meaning and purpose. Um, the, the other thing that comes to mind is this balance uh, between foundational activities and incremental uh, or innovational activities. And an example of that is, you know, it's interesting. I was actually just um, in a conversation with a superintendent at, uh, at a school system here. And, you know, long-term systemic change takes time. It's just, you know, he's describing this, this, this system in this conversation. I mean, he's describing this system where you've got thousands of employees within the school system. You also have um, state legislature and state government and federal government. Then you also have parents and students. And then you have the city that the school system is within. And all of these people, all of these entities need to be moving in the same direction in certain topics in order to create long-term systemic change. One entity can't just go, oh, I'm going to go off this way and it's going to be great. Um, if you do, it's kind of like, you know, uh, a candle that's at the bottom of a, of a wig. You know, it's going to go out pretty quickly. And so you've got to look at how do you um, set up for the long-term, but you also can't use that as a way to not take action today. And so you've got to find, okay, well, let's set up the long-term roadmap, but then what are some simple things that we could just do tomorrow? We don't need a lot of permission. We don't need a lot of um, buy-in from the whole community. We can just, you know, here's a, a little thing that we can do that nudges us in that direction. So I think it's about when it comes to pace, it's about, as you mentioned, having a clear eye on, on the future and then saying, okay, I'm gonna invest in my innovational long-term issues so I can create systemic change that lasts a long time, long, healthy, sustainable growth and balance. But I'm also going to take some quick action steps that help us create momentum within our organization, uh, make our employees and our customers, let them know that we're actually taking steps towards something and we're not just talk. Um, to your point about the 181 CEOs that signed something, that's great, but then let's let's actually start to implement something. So I think you got to balance those those. Uh, one of my old uh, colleagues used to call them mouse heads and moose heads. So you gotta you've got to balance your your moose heads, putting those up on the wall with your mouse heads to get those little wins and those those big wins. You got to balance. Them. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. I like it. You know, it's interesting. It, it, I I think about I loved your um, when you were talking earlier about the. Uh, to grow a flower to feed the soil, or as you and I have talked about how the the goal that we, as you mentioned about people design, at least what we try to do is this sort of this idea of um, trying to get an environment where good an environment where good work can happen. To me, you know, that idea really stemmed from this this sort of sense of, um, you know, the, the sense that I've had, at least in my professional experience, that a lot of times, you know, there's not a lack of talent in the room, you know. Right. It's like there's there's there are a lot of talent there are like a lot more talented designers let's say than there are uh, well executed design programs and companies that are can kind of put those kinds of issues forward and so forth and I think that's true in a lot of corporate environments too where there's like if you look around the room there's a lot of talent in the room even but then the question is always like can you can you actually get those people to kind of work together in some fashion can you actually get them to be um, to, to work together to actually, you know, move something forward, which kind of goes to your point about kind of feeding the soil. It is an interesting, or, or culture, which, yeah. does, which does feel messy. And yet it also is one of these things where, because the, you know, you're kind of getting, you know, what you're talking earlier about this idea of switching from an ocean liner to a fighter pilot and being agile and, and how that ultimately maybe come down to teams or individuals. Um, it becomes so much about sort of feeding that soil. What are your thoughts about kind of the, what are the ingredients of the soil or of the, you know, what are, what are the, the attributes that are going to help, help, help align and yeah. kind of uh, get a team to kind of work together to try to make their talent. Also that teamwork. Sure. Together. Yeah. 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 You know, um, one of the, th I think it's about 
again, because I think a lot of this goes back to our own personal identities. Who are, how do we uh, see ourselves? What's our self value? What is that rooted in? I think a lot of it is about um, giving, making people feel heard and like they've, they can contribute. Um, because I think that, you know, you, a lot of people, even if they disagree, they might want the same thing in the end. They might just be describing it differently or they might have different ideas about how to get there. Um, but I think it's a little bit about, let's hear all those uh, different voices and respect them. But then let's also try to find out what are the commonalities and what are the differences? And let's just organize those out, let's sort them out. And it doesn't have to be um, an emotional thing. It's just, let's, let's look at where these things are at and then let's find what we can get behind and move forward. So I think it's a bit of, um, you know, respecting individuals, letting their voices be heard, um, looking through what they're saying to find out what they're, you know, there's always, we talk about the thing behind the thing, right? So just because they say something doesn't mean that's what they, they're actually trying to mean, right? They, it might, they might mean something different. So taking the time to get behind that and really understand what someone's trying to say um, and then kind of creating an environment where you can actually collaborate. And you, like, as you've said, when people say collaborate, they often mean cooperation. <laughs> and, and that's not what this is about, right? It's about where, you know, you're, you're, take pride in your work, but don't be prideful about your work, you know, just lay it out there and let's beat it up. Let's, let's, let's make something better and let's do it together. So I think just kind of respecting those individuals and bringing them together is a, is a key piece, but. I would agree. I would agree. Well, um, and, uh, why don't we, uh, we'll bring it to a close then. I, I, if, if uh, no other folks have, have questions for us, um, we'll just, we'll pivot here to, to wrap this up for today. So thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like this information and discussions like this, these, there are some places here where you can subscribe to our, um, our blog, our newsletter. Uh, we also record these, uh, these uh, conversations and post them in a podcast format on Anchor, but you can get them on your, all your the usual places in, um, uh, if you, wherever you listen to podcasts. And also can find us on social media channels, of course, and at peopledesign.com. So thank you very much, everyone, uh, and have a great day.